How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 157. Very nice. Well done. Yes. Tick, tick. Got about I th- forgot for a second. I also <laughs> forgot for a second. I went 157. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Little, little gap, but that's okay. Yeah. It's happy start of season four. Season four. The pilot. I had, no, they're not pilots. The pilot's they're not pilot. pilot. It's not a pilot. It's the pilot of a whole new saga. It's like the Infinity Saga, and then Phase Four of Marvel is a whole new. This is true. It's exactly what this is. It's not true. really. It's not I hope everyone enjoyed our award show last week. Yeah, big one. Our longest episode by far. <laughs> it's crazy. Kind of like two hours twenty something. Jesus. This is true. Still shorter than the Eternals. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Don't, did you watch it this week? No, no, okay. I didn't. I just saw it, but it has been released on Disney. It, it's Plus. on Disney Plus now, and I've seen all the memes. I'm like, ah, there come the uh, the others, <laughs> the people who waited to stream it. Wait, fair. I don't blame them. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, I worked a lot this week. <laughs> Very low key episode, I think. That's okay. We're alive. You have a band aid on, mate. I do. I cut my finger. Oh, Jesus. I cut my... Uh, I cut my... I've actually been really battered and bruised this week, so you can't tell now, but... Um, and I'm describing this for our Please audience. Please do it, yes. Um, I heavily bruised my ring finger on my left hand mm. on the weekend. I jarred it between a railing of a staircase. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's so bad. And I woke up, and it was about twice the size as what it is now. Oh my! It God. was. I have a photo. I wonder if I could get you the photo. Yeah, <laughs> but no, um, pretty messed up. I it, don't. I don't need to look at that. It was. Uh, it was quite. Well, well, my friend messaged me earlier this week. He's like, "I made a boo boo," and I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, I cut my hand. Do you want to see it?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll see it." I'm not. I'm actually not that grossed out for those things because I cut my own hand a few years ago, if you mm. recall. I've still got the scar here. I, I do. That was a deep, deep cut. I it was a couple. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he had like a was quite a heavy bandage on, if I recall. Yeah. Well, I have a photo of the actual cut, like before I've even got it stitched up. That was the only time I got a stitch was my hand, and um, it was very gross. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like desensitized. It's your it's your hand. You're kind of desensitized to it in a, mm. in a weird way, even though it's like all messed up. <laughs> You always play it off like it's uh, really cool. That's that's yeah. oh, that's picture. Oh geez, yeah, yeah, that's that's a bad bruise. That's a bad boo boo. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, we're not here to talk about our injuries. No, we're, we're uh, not here to talk about movies, particularly one movie in particular, our film of the week, Licorice Pizza. Licorice the pizza. <laughs> but Jake, do you have a that's trivia not a bad fact for? Me. I do actually, I do. So if you scroll through the good old IMDb trivia, it's always a good one. I actually, sort of culminated a bunch. Because I, I realized something, Zeke, about Licorice Pizza. It's a very it's a very friendly, family, cast and crew type stitch going on. I mm-hmm. noticed this with the Green Knight as well. A lot of the trivia, and that was through Prime doing their like, x-ray, whatever, and it comes up with the facts. Um, but some films, more than others, do like to utilize like the families of the crews and whatnot. So in particular, in this film, you have Cooper Hoffman's sisters who appear as members in the Jerry Best show performance. That's pretty early mm-hmm. in the film. They show up. In that big, and you can see that in the trailer as well. You got Alana Heim, I believe it's Heim, that's how you pronounce it. Her real family play the character's family, which is quite a neat detail, if you will. And PTA's own uh, kids, I'll say kids, and it just says prominently, most prominently, his eldest daughter, who sits next to Gary at the Taylor the Cock restaurant, which I believe it is a scene when it's at Sean Penn, 
Mm-hmm. He's, he's, yeah, I believe it's that scene because they go there a few times. So yeah, a lot of uh, cast and crew and friends and family appearing, sneaking mm-hmm. into the film, which I, I thought was quite nice. Well, I've got one here myself. Mm. Um, this is kind of intertextual to our show. Uh, the Obviously, the movie that Coop Hoffman's character is well he's you know has you know he's a child actor and he's made yes. famous by it's called under one roof which is clearly inspired by yours mine and ours which was the real lucille balls starring film in 1968 uh, we talked about lucille nice. ball a couple of weeks ago with being the ricardos ah uh, of course of centered course. around her i um i love lucy show i think she won she won best actress for that yes at golden globe i think mm. And a lot of that's coming around. We're not going to talk about those today because there's a lot of intertextuality there. A little bit of intertextuality. I like it, which is very exciting. But Zeke, yes, the poster behind you. 1,100 films you must watch before you die. This film is far too recent to be on that poster. But mm. my question to you, Zeke, is should it be on said poster? I'm afraid not. I actually kind of agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to be a really interesting discussion. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll probably go into more detail as to why we think it shouldn't make our list yeah. later in the show. Not that it's necessarily we're saying it's a bad film. We're just no. saying it wouldn't make our top 1100. Simple as that. But yeah, you're right. We'll elaborate why very soon. And i got to say, Zeke, on the mm. first, I guess on the top half of the show, I haven't seen much, if anything, which is... I usually catch something. Yeah. I usually catch something, but I'll, I'll get more into it in the career section, which I've been teasing for like two weeks now. <laughs> There's things going on there. I've been watching 500 Days of Summer video essays because for some reason one came up and now they keep coming up mm. in the recommendations. And i got to say, man, that film is layered. Absolutely layered. It is a very intricate film. Got to do it one day. A hundred percent agree with that. Well, I've caught a couple of things other than the film of the week. Mm. Um, I actually made multiple trips to the cinema this week with Ooh. my mum. So I thought you were going to say with um, my mask. No. Because we all have to wear not masks yet. again. <laughs> yeah, I managed to sneak in. So earlier in the week before I caught the film of the week, I did go see the latest Ghostbusters film. Oh, Ghostbusters cool. Afterlife. Which is the third canonical instalment in the Ghostbusters right. series after the first two 80s Ghostbusters films. So yeah. basically they have redacted the 20... What is it? 20, 2016. Uh, the female-led one. Yes. That one canonically does not exist. <laughs> they redacted it. That's uh, a great word for that. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, obviously this film is basically... Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters is probably the best way of which okay. as well it has Finn Wolfhart in it. Sure. Yeah. Um it's set in a town basically following um, you know, obviously we did Ghostbusters on the show, um following the children of Egon Spangler, who um, you know, of the, the right, okay. original cast is the only one that's actually not alive today. Um Wait, but, what? Oh right, right, right. Um, in real life. Gotcha. Yeah. And, of course, you know, that's, um, they still work around that pretty well um, with some special effects abilities and some Force Ghost-esque stuff in the oh, latter, okay. latter parts of the film. But... Um, uh, can I, I haven't seen it, but can I make a prediction? Yeah, they're doing, like, the Ghostbusters, and, of course, some of the ghosts are. I get it. I get yeah, it. I see it's clever. What, I see what you're teasing. It's, it's, it obviously doesn't try to do anything, um, you know, too... Uh, I don't want to say bold's the wrong word. I mean, like it's 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 actually a very clean and sharp film, and it's very well written, and it stays within that dry delivery humor. Mm. I have to give a big shout out to um, 
the female lead, who is, uh, I believe, I'm going to just get this one here, uh, McKenna Grace, who plays Phoebe. Um, oh, wait. Why is that name so familiar, McKenna Grace? Uh, what else she is she is in? in Gifted. Oh, she's, a, yep, she's the, yep. She's that the, makes sense. That's probably the closest one bringing back, uh, you know, Mark Webb. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. We need some Spider-Man trivia later in the show. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so a uh, big, big shout out. McKenna Grace steals the show as um, Phoebe, who is um, Egon's. She'll be a lot older now as well in yeah, this film. Yeah, so she's, she plays a 12-year-old in this. Um, in this? Yeah, in this film. What? Yeah. I mean, Gifted. How came old out is Gifted? 2017. Oh, Okay. That sort of makes sense. I felt like oh, I thought the movie was like eight years old. Yeah, it's not that <laughs> not that old. I guess that does make sense. Five years. And and she's track. what, like seven? Yeah, gifted? yeah, she's younger than I remember. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so it's about right. Um, she's great, and Finn Hill Wolfhart's also pretty good. A lot of fun with Paul Rudd. No surprise, Paul Rudd does a Paul Rudd esque performance. Sure, and delivers. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's just a really fun film, and it really fits really well with the original film. Um the original two films. So I think it's a lot of fun. I definitely think it was really funny going to see the film and a lot of the fil- the cinema was filled with kids and sure. a lot of the humour just went zoop, straight over their heads. My mum and I were laughing way more than like... Interesting. Okay. Um, it's definitely one of those really clever sort of Toy Story layered humours where your parents will probably get just as much enjoyment out of it. Um, Does it feel like a kids' kids' film though? No, it feels more like in the Stranger Things were or Stranger Things realm, where it's, I guess it could sort of be for kids, or it's based around kids, but it doesn't really f- sure. feel like a. Kids. Well, Stra- yeah, Stranger Things it's probably a little too scary for like kids, like like seven, eight. Yeah, this is definitely not scary, scary. Right, um, but the humor is aimed at that. Oh, that slightly sure. All like the chemistry between the kids and all of that. Yeah. They've, their dry delivery is, is fantastic. So, um, big, I really enjoyed the film um, and would 100%, you know, you like Ghostbusters, you're actually going to enjoy this film. Cool. Um, yeah, if I only have to watch the second... I remember the first one pretty well and then we did it, of course, episode, God, 70-something. It was our very first countdown through the decades. Yes. So it was a while ago now. Um, and then I never saw the second one, but if that's all the homework I have to do, then maybe I will. Yeah. Try and catch this one. Um, the only other film I caught this week was to finish off the Karate Kid trilogy. Ah, uh, yes, um, from last week, yep. Uh, obviously, you know, we've talked about over the last uh, couple of weeks, the Cobra Kai Season 4 was dropped, and this is probably, uh, they said to do this as homework for Season 4. I, once again, all three of these films, in conclusion, you don't really need to watch to enjoy Cobra Kai, but you do get more enjoyment, I think, out of it because of watching the films. I sure. Think. Well, the show is made... Because of the success of, of the movie franchise, yeah. so the I definitely preferred the third one to the second one. Obviously, building on, but I still believe the first one, the original one, is the best. Obviously, which mm. is not a uncommon opinion. So, right. um, the only other thing you only I'm, have two left. You only have two Karate Kids left to get. Yeah, through. I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> be able to brave those. Um, oh come on! I think I can brave the Jaden Smith one. Do it, do it. I'm not sure I can brave the Hillary Swank one. Um, Man, what happened to Hillary Swank? Um, ah, she's in things. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's my response to that. She's in things. The only other things I've caught, you know, I'm just working my way through Scrubs and enjoying that. And I did get started on the book of Boba Fett. Oh, uh, yeah. Three episodes into that. Really have nothing to say about it, to be honest. Uh, nothing. It is really meh. Honestly, 
kind of not great at all, to be honest. There's frankly no promotion for. I haven't seen anything for this. It's not good. It's no really trailers, no very nothing. lackluster. Mm. It, it doesn't have the same sort of drive that the Mandalorian has. And I will probably still watch it as it comes out because it's an easy 40 minutes to kill, but, you know, it really hasn't offered anything worth of substance three episodes in, which is concerning, seeing as most of these shows range from six to eight episodes. So uh, Yeah, so it's like how much is even left in the tank? Yeah. If there's nothing yet, you can sort of grab onto i get that i mean that's kind of the genius of having obviously baby yoda obviously his name is grogu whatever it is but um having him be the end of the pilot the pilot mm. you know you get that first episode where you're going to get into that and then you have not your gimmick but that thing that everyone's going to talk about mm. that water cooler effect and then yeah. from there it sort of takes you for the rest of the season yeah you, i think it's underappreciated how clever the Mandal- not not necessarily like the writing of the Mandalorian, but just the way they've created it to have that water cooler effect to get people talking and interested mm. and wanting to tune in each week. There I is something wish, clever I, about I it. I wish something like because Cobra, Cobra Kai's, but we've we've uh, off the air. The people you know, fans of the show, uh, they've discussed what makes that so successful, and it's because there's a, such a good hook at the end of every episode sure. that makes you want to watch the second one. Problem is, they release all ten episodes in one hit. So you don't get that water cooler mm. effect because of the way Netflix just dumps rather than scatters. And yeah, which I really don't understand. Binging culture is good for unestablished shows, like when Stranger Things first dropped and everyone could sort of like, oh my god, what is this thing called yeah. Stranger Things? And you can watch the whole season one go. And um, but then at that point, once the show's already got the hook, yeah, let it be weekly because then you have. You have that time to to talk about it, yeah. and then they can promote the series for thirteen weeks instead of two. One hundred percent. It just makes no sense to me, binging culture. But anyway, it's this what it is. We've talked well, about but, it many before. Yeah, but this is true. But it's like other streaming services are doing the scout. Disney Plus is doing it. Yeah, but that, because every single show on Disney Plus is like established IP, like Book of mm-hmm. Boba Fett, they, people are gonna watch that. Yeah. That it, it, they don't need the safety net of, like, oh, let's drop it all at once, and if it explodes, then it will explode. So, I mean, uh, Squid Game. Yeah. Squid Game would not have been anywhere near as successful if it was if it came out weekly and people saw the first episode or maybe intrigued, but, you know, they weren't able to interpret the entire thing in one sure. go. Um, and then, you know, the smart thing for them to do season two is make that weekly. And yeah. then that has to water, because you've already got the audience. Now you want to keep them hooked and to keep them talking about it. Yeah, Give them more subscriptions. 100%. They last longer. Anyway, I don't know. That's my... Yeah. Well, Cobra Kai's now got four seasons. To well, there name. you go. Like that, they, They're well past that point. They could do that yeah. and get away with it. But exactly. Anyway. All right. Well, oh, well, that's all I've got to add to my what I watched in this week. So I guess we'll just jump straight into career sections because yeah. you've got a hefty mm. uh, career load to dump here. Exciting stuff. No, I'm very tired, Zeke, because it's on a three-day shoot... Technically, it was a three-and-a-half-day shoot. They let me off. <laughs> they let me have some time off. No, it was good. Um, you know, the whole skeleton crew at the, the last tail end of the thing. No, but it's a it's a Screen West-funded uh, production, a short film. Uh, Jessica Bailey is directing it. Uh, our friend Damien Fasolo, who for a second I thought we had him on the show. Of course, we haven't had him on the show before. No. But um, he's he shot it, and, yeah, that was a very intense shoot because <laughs> it was a lot to do in a very short period of time but yes. it was a lot of fun had a lot of friends on it made a lot of new friends 
it was just good because I, I'm. I said this to Damien earlier today. I was like, if if I went on that set a year ago, mm-hmm. I might have been a bit more negative about. It. I might have been a bit more like, oh, can we get this done? You know. And I think I've sort of had this thing over the last year of just learning, like, just appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, everyone's here working hard, creating this thing. Like, let's embrace it. And let's enjoy it, and don't take yourself too seriously. Because you know, so I was second ACing. For those you don't know, was Mostly, you know, slating, keeping track of that, liaison, uh, liaising with uh, Jared, the script supervisor, in terms of, you know, what takes we're up to and, and making sure that we're all on the same page about sort of documenting each mm-hmm. shot. Um, and then, of course, helping the, at first AC out, like swapping lenses and, you know, putting markers on the floor and things like that. So that was generally my role, but even so, it's still I was still on my feet a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was exhausting. It was hard work. And... Um, that being said, I still had a blast. So yeah, got a good workout. Yeah, no, oh, definitely. I've lost so much, so much weight, mate. <laughs> I always joke because I wear my every. This is what I do: third or fourth day on most shoots that you know last more than two days. I wear my uh, Master Chef shirt, which is just Heisenberg, Breaking Bad. It's Walter White's face on it, and it has Master Chef on it. And every single time I wear it, people, are, oh, that's a great shirt, Jake. I was like, yeah, I'm usually too fat to wear it. But about two, three days into any set, I can usually fit it. <laughs> then people start talking about the shirt. You so know? What, you, what you really need is to constantly be on sets. And then you just that yes. will do it. Yes. But I also need to get paid every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I actually am getting paid for this on a technicality. Take so the win. Go. Take the W. Take the win. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> COVID's a great thing, Zeke. Ooh, well, Helps me a, get paid. Most controversial thing that's ever been said on the show. I think. <laughs> it's most certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, fair. I'm sure goodness. we'll catch that film at some point. Absolutely, up. but it's probably later in the year. Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, it depends what their release plan is. Did you want to say anything about the film? Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed. Oh, you know that's not true. I, I'll, basically, it's about an uh, African Australian woman who wants to become a film student, but is, of course, pressured uh, by her family externally to help support them, as well as going to more of a nursing career. It's called I'm Not a Nurse. I learned that the hard way, because the slate says I am not a nurse the entire shoot, when the film's actually called I'm Not a Nurse. Sorry, it's early draft, mate. It's not my fault. (laughs) I don't know who made that change. Nah, it's fine. So that's what the film's about. And uh, I will tease a little. It does get into very... um, I'll just say, if you want to get a hint of what the film, in terms of the style, the aesthetic, watch Get Out. So a bit more of a surrealistic horror vibe to the the whole thing, which I think is a really clever idea for a film like this. Intriguing. But yeah, that's that's my tease. That's my tease for I'm Not a Nurse. No drama as well. I'm sure that'll come out potentially as early as later this year. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? It was a very aggressive move. <laughs> strongly enunciated. Exactly. This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Licorice Pizza. Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. We're gonna hang out with Gary and his friends all the time. <laughs> I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time. I'm not gonna forget you. 
just like you're not gonna forget me. Cross. Set in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s, the film follows a high school student who is also a successful child actor. Wow, that is a very brief logline on Letterbox. Uh, yeah, well, it's not even accurate because it's a two-hander. This is straight up a two-hander. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> if I was to add a thing, it's the child's pursuit for the affirmation of his far older female counterpart. Yeah, for sure. Ten-year age gap, that is true. It's the second film in a row, Zeke, that we're doing with a with a, an uncomfortable age gap between characters. <laughs> yes, I would say this one After is Red a Rocket. little closer. This one's a lot more innocent. Yes. A lot more innocent than Red Rocket. Says, uh, 15 to 25, <laughs> whereas that was 40 to, like, 17. So. Yeah, I looked that up. Simon Rex in his 40. I think he's 47. Yeah. I'm like, holy Can shit. Can tell, because he had, like, the... Uh, age lines that you can't get rid of. I was going to say um, the crow's feet, but then I was like, you have that. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for telling everyone listening that I have crow's feet. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) Oh, no, it's all right. I'll live. Well, if if this film teaches us anything, it's that age (laughs) is just a number. (laughs) Is that what this film is teaching? Well, Well, yeah, look, it's... So I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I'm trying to remember what episode it was. I think it was you... the turn of the year episode. So oh, you might be right. What's that? Second of Gosh, January. How am I forgetting? Um, we did we did Spider Man, and then we did not Florida Project. That was fifty five. How am I forgetting this? Holy crap! Did we go back, or did we do a recent film? Like, I think it was fifty five. I think it was Florida Project. Oh, uh, maybe you're right. Yeah, because this is 57 now. Why well, am I on repeat? Zeke, this is really hard. Yeah. I'm not going to bother backtracking. I'm looking at Jake's sick beats. Oh, yeah, no, I clicked them wrong. Oh, we did West Side Story. There you go. But that was December still. Yeah. So you're right. Look, a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't yeah. matter. I talked about the film briefly. Mm. I walked out not loving it to the extent that I was hoping I would. Mm. I think the film is very committed to what it's doing. It's It's beautiful artistry Paul Thomas Anderson working his ass off it looks incredible it sounds incredible the performances the two in particular are just mm. their chemistry is amazing together I just think a film like this I kind of didn't know what to expect going in I saw the trailer did you you've seen the trailer yeah yeah I saw the did trailer I want to say for Dune came out before, oh yeah probably before Dune sure um yeah, look, and I was very excited about yeah, the... it's a fantastic trailer. Um, sort of, I from the trailer, even in the trailer, I could kind of get that we were going to get a more Magnolia-esque storyline where it was sort of a collection of... Magnolia obviously only takes place over, like, one day, but... Okay. Um, 
sort of a collection of random sort of almost episodes. That's uh, yeah. Um, this film feels a lot like that. It's it is episodic. This this film. Um, and I sort of felt we were going to get a similar sort of convergence of rea- like sort of grounded realism meets this sort of surrealist episode sort of stuff where PTA loves his larger-than-life characters but then mixes it in with the incredibly normal, normalised sure, characters. Yeah. Um, but This definitely has that to an extent. It's sort of like the the almost the world integration, the fact that characters are cross-pollinated over multiple when we go into say episode three where Mm. um you know we're following uh is it um is it alina no it's not alina it's um alana sorry Um, yeah well Well, that's her name as you know like she's at the um mayor's uh, the candidate mayor's office and sure certain characters are cross-pollinating over to there that were in previous episodes like um, and it's really interesting with a lot of Easter eggs of that sort of stuff, but it's definitely a film that I came in feeling really excited for. I think this is the first PTA film I've seen in a cinema. Wow. That might, I think it's mine too. Wow. I never thought of it that way. Um, so that's really, that's exciting in its own right. Sure. And yeah, I don't think it hit the heights of, of some of my favourite PTA films. I mean, he has some of my favourite films of all time. So mm. that was it's a very high bar to achieve. This is not a bad film by any stretch, but I walked out of it feeling, you know, content. You know, with, I, was, I was satisfied. But yeah, not. sure. I think this goes back to why I speak for you in the sense that neither of us put it on our on our poster in terms of we think it belongs there because I don't know if it it says anything particularly unique or that we haven't heard before not to say that the experience of being you know in this world you know san fernando 1973 i believe it is yeah um and having these characters sort of you're like sort of interconnect together and the experiences they have like it's a great experience it's a great story to live through but i don't know if the film has any particularly strong message i think there's a couple of moments in it that are quite strange like comedic moments that are really strange and off kilter and i don't know even belong in the film to an extent it's got the same sort of hangout vibe that once upon a time in hollywood has yeah it's a thousand percent um and almost is very similar in it's a love letter to a certain time frame Mm. um where you just essentially feel like you're living in 1973 san fernando and whereas once upon a time in hollywood it's what 1960 69 69 hollywood and it's like obviously it's from the perspective of you know, the, the upper echelon of Hollywood, whereas this is sort of the mid-lower tier sort of part of a very similar sort of... Well, the characters are a lot younger here. There's yeah. still that essence of showbiz. Yeah, of course. And the involvement in showbiz, but... um, But then you're right, like, in terms of... It's very, very thin plot. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of things happen in this film, but the, the way that I equated it to... I mean, I think episodic is a really good way to, to put it, because I can see this being a miniseries, and you can break the story up 100%. into those chunks. For me, it felt like a series of what-if scenarios. Like, oh, what if Gary gets randomly arrested by the police? What happens now? What if, uh, you know, there's a gas shortage? What happens now? Like, it's it feels like there's a premise and then there's, like, a series of events that take place after that. Sort of, yeah. what would these characters do in this scenario? But, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's no, like, carefully threaded through line or narrative that takes you from the beginning to the end of mm. this. There's a progression. Obviously, the character's have very specific feelings towards each other that are explored and there is sort of, you know, the final 
uh, full stop at the end of that. We will talk about the ending, I imagine, soon. Um, but I think I was a little disappointed by that. I was like, okay, it just feels like a series of happenings. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of hoping for a little bit more plot-wise. It doesn't... I get it doesn't need to. Yeah, I don't think it really needs to. I think it, the funny thing is... Um, one of the discussions, like I said, in the first half of the show, I went and saw this with my mum. And one of yep. the interesting conversations that came out of this was the discussion of of soulmates. Mm. And um, more particularly, the sort of underlying feeling that you know you've kind of found your person... Mm. without um, real, like, bar the limitations or societal expectations of your position or disposition at that time. It's, if anything, the, the, the first interaction between, um, you know, Alana and, uh, I've got to double check this, Gary, Gary yeah. um, pretty much indicates that immediately, but due to their, basically nothing more than their age range, or their positions in society, her perception that he's in high... I mean, they meet at a high school photo shoot, Yep. yet their chemistry is immaculate and their back and forth is straight away and instantaneous. So if this was two 20-year-olds, not a 15 and a 25-year-old, we wouldn't even bat an eyelid. You know, even the point where he turned 16 within less than a month. And one thing that my mum said is like, at that time, as soon as he turned 16 it's fine like yeah the the it's a bit odd sure but technically there's no real legality side or even um apart from a societal abnormality but i mean well i it's important to mention that i don't and it's been a couple of weeks since i've you've saw it way more recently than i did so correct me if i'm wrong but i don't remember there being any particular scenes where like characters outside of the two of them maybe like her parents make a comment or something just a discussion with her sister okay but it's a very oh, the, roundabout yeah it's right like is it weird that i'm hanging out with yeah. gary and his 15 year old friends yeah yeah but i guess so but that even then that's her asking someone else the question that's not like someone from an external background coming up being like why are you seeing this guy who's 15 yeah. it's all it's all internal conflicts yeah, that they're having. I but think, I think that's uh, the important messaging that comes in it is the fact that we often let the other the perceptions of others dictate the way that we should feel and the way we sure. should act. Yeah. Um, the the use of of characters like you know the whole sequence with you know uh, Alana's interactions with Sean Penn's character. Yeah. Um, where it's you know it's the about the the stardom allure that that this is a man of of class and dignity in quotations. So she should like him solely because of that position that he has in society, people's outward perception of him, mm. not, not because it's what she wants, you know, when she takes, uh, sorry, with a huge cast in a typical PTA fashion. Um, <laughs> I want to take, uh, Sean Penn's Sky- Skylar Gisondo or Lance in the film. Oh yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, he takes... Oh, he's from Booksmart. That's where I remember him from. Um, <laughs> he's the dorky friend, isn't he? Like, the one Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, God, he's so funny at that. But, you know, even, like, that percept- that that dinner, you know, he's the one that's a, a little bit smoother and a, just a little bit older and, and sure. suddenly the level of acceptability. But, you know, has... You know, he's still, like a star like you know still the stardom style it's not liking her out of the fact that you know she's like seen through the lens that like Cooper Hoffman's carrying how Gary perceives mm-hmm. her um 
it's really interesting. But yeah, I, I overall my original take was that was a really pretty film that you know, I guess I could nick nitpick at, but like you said, I think there are other films that profoundly discuss very similar topics of coming of age and societal perceptions and love is really only true love is really only limited to the t- you know the two parties involved and yeah. has nothing to do with well it's interesting what it points out in the sense that's why i come back to the age thing is that you know gary is a bit of an entrepreneur and he is you know a child actor and seemingly successful from what we've seen and he's in yeah. productions and he's very charismatic he's very um not forward, but what's the word? Like he's progressive. He's a he's very uh, uh, yeah. Well, he's charismatic and he can talk to people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's always kind of jumping on different opportunities, and he's kind of dragging her along as well. Um, but there is that question of how much he enjoys it because you know almost immediately in the film she agrees to a plane flight because he needs someone older than him to to essentially uh, be his parental well, guardian that his mum can't do so. She does it, like, almost immediately after they meet. Yeah, and she's kind of wayward and stifled. You know, she's 25 and she still lives at home and she doesn't really have much of a dating life. The fact that she even uh, kind of accepts that, quote, first date with with Gary is Mm. all based out of the fact that she's quite stifled. I mean, she's um, kind of, in a way, Gary does light a spark a creativity spark within her throughout the film. And well, I think there's a sense there that she, we understand she's very directionless. Like, yeah. yeah, she's in a photography assistant in a high school, but it's like she has no discernible direction of or very clear goals she wants. We see throughout the film, she jumps from idea to idea to idea. So she might be attracted to that very um, focused side of Gary, the entrepreneur side of him. And to be honest, it's like, you know, Gary's biggest flaws lie solely with his age, really. And they're all based around his age. They're his biggest limitation. The fact that he he can't go to New York by himself because of his age. He needs mm. a, quote, guardian to do that, you know. The fact that he doesn't really have the full comprehension of emotional maturity yet. Like, although he's very entrepreneurial, there are certain things that he can't quite grasp his head around. Like, he doesn't... You know, and he walks that really perfect line between he is still a teenager, he may have progressive mindsets and entrepreneurial, but he's also never seen boobs before. Right. You know, and it's that really, like, sort of line between, you know, thinking he's older, but then always being grounded in that sort of, you know, the fact that he moves around, um, he starts a waterbed company with all of his almost little rascal-esque friends, and (laughs) they all follow his lead because he's their leader, but... The fact of the matter is, is as soon as he comes up against actual adults, he falls apart very quickly. It becomes very quickly apparent that he's just a teenager. Well, in, in what way specifically? Um, well, there's multiple examples. You know, when he gets arrested and he's kind of just perplexed and he doesn't really know what he's, you know, what is happening, what's going on. And sure. Then yeah. When the the cuffs come off, it requires it requires her to, you know, Alana to corral him almost out of the station because right, he's so shocked by what's yeah, happened. Yeah. You know, when okay. he interacts with you know, even like when Alana is having dinner with, with Sean Penn's character and and how he just doesn't know how to react apart from observing and, and just not ever being, you know, prompting. He was never going to do anything other sure. than simply just stare, you know. Yeah. When he comes across Bradley Cooper's character, he lets Bradley Cooper's <laughs> psychotic <laughs> character okay, yeah. um, make advances on Alana directly in front of him while yeah. he doesn't speak yep. up or okay. do anything. Um, <laughs> That's true. 
he uh, gets walked over by every adult because at the end of the day he is just 15 he's not sure. meant to be this he's a real go-getter until you know uh, he's actually matched yeah and even to that point there's that moment I only just remembered when he does he gets his license yeah or he's able to drive himself around and that codependency he has on Alana is no longer there or that for that specific mm. example and she loses her shit. Yeah. <laughs> she chases him out to the driveway. And because their relationship it... was placed on almost putting each other in respective boxes. Mm-hmm. And particularly well, there was... putting in, 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 um, in Gary in the box because Gary is just a kid until that scene. Well, yeah, it's a codependency on, on the both of them, emotionally and, and yeah. literally. And I think that's kind of what this film hints at. I think ultimately what I think it's saying... Because you have, you know, we mentioned, you know, there's older gentlemen that she sort of flirts with for, um, you know, the the sort yeah. of the political episode, if you want to call it that, with Joel or uh, Benny Safdie, if you will. There's sort of that, there, she even has the intrigue and excitement when he calls her at night, being like, oh, I want to come meet at a bar. And of course, that, as well as like Sean's pen character, a lot of that are sort of either ploys or just mm. sort of an armrest in a lot of ways. And I think what she realizes in all these different interactions with these guys is some who can't even remember her own name at times, is that it, it's sort of fleeting and it's almost despite the age gap because those are big age gaps in the other direction mm. as well, typically, is the innocence and the purity of, of Cooper Hoffman's Gary mm. and that, that he is expressing a very clear affection for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting in its own right. And I think that does sort of play into the age gap, what it's saying about that, which I think is sort of, I'll say a positive message in the sense that it's saying positive things about this 10-year age gap. Yeah. And it's not about the negative aspects of it. Because he, as the younger person, is pursuing her mm-hmm. majoritively. She sort of plays into it and and then gets jealous when he sort of leans away. So there's the codependency again. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thematic core... Um, of the film really is revealed in that final interaction Alana has with with Benny Safdie's uh, is it the Joel Joel Wack? the Joel Wax Wack Wack yeah it was Wack isn't it um, and you know obviously you know in that scene we find out that he's you know he's keeping a closeted homosexual relationship under wraps and basically what we're you know at its thematic core there is is he cares about societal's perception of himself mm. um and he's letting that trump his relationship and affect that part of his life because yep. he cares more about the way the public perceives him and it really phones home obviously with him being literally a political figure yep. so all all of his entire career is based around public perception and that's the moment when she decides to take put her feelings first seeing how that affects yeah, well, especially part. in that not only just seeing how he reacts to that situation but then using her as the pawn of okay well you two walk home together to continue to yeah. keep this illusion alive um so i really bought her character arc from that standpoint of like coming to that realization just kind of going with her gut which i think a lot of what that of yeah. that ending is i think that's really what like being each other's a like sort of realizing that, you know, this this opportunity might not come around again to explore this. Sure, and it doesn't. Yeah. It won't really matter in the long run. Like people's perception of her won't really change mm. that much because, you know, it, 
even her interactions with her sisters, particularly her eldest sister, um, where she's the one, you know, in that sequence where she's saying, is it weird that I'm hanging out with Gary and her 15-year-old friends? She's very blasé about it. She's very passive. She's like, mm. no, it's not weird. Like, you're the only one who thinks it's weird. And it's almost like, despite the fact that they're constantly screaming at each other, there's definitely that grounded sort of, it doesn't matter really what you do, you're sort of going to be okay. Mm. We're always going to have your back. And yeah. um, it's a, it's definitely a very, honestly, it's, it's one of his, although intricate in the way that it threads the plot together in that episodic sequence, it's probably one of his most simplistic films. Oh, a, a million percent, yeah. yeah. It's definitely not like we did, you know, There Will Be Blood. And it's like there's a lot of layers to that narrative that come at play. And then when you think of this film, almost because of the Finn plot, I mean, when you look at something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that is pretty simplistic as well. Yeah. Because it's not trying to shove a lot of intricate details in terms of, like, having to follow a thread into the runtime. Mm-hmm. It's a very, you know, it's what, two hours, ten, whatever the runtime is. So it's a very... Um, extended, no, it's not very sharp like um, Punch Drunk Love is, for example, um, but not a lot, quote-unquote, happens in it, which means, yeah, it's, mm. it's easier to follow and it's sort of a simplistic story and you're sort of just observing these mm. characters in scenarios, Yeah, which, you which know... Which are mostly I've, pretty funny. Yeah, well, exactly. They're great and they sort of represent that time as well and I think you can, you can feel it. You can feel Paul Thomas Anderson reminiscing and feeling nostalgic about his past. I know you wanted to have a bit of a discussion. We haven't talked about it properly yet. The title, yes. what it even means. Well, you tell me first, because I, I know a bit about... I, I have some of my other friends and their theories for the title. I had PTA's sort of answer mm-hmm. or response to it. Um, but you tell me, walking out of the cinema, what was your sort of thinking for the title? You know, it was funny. It took me a while to unpack it. I feel like my first original perception of the title was it was sort of a comment on on maturity Mm. um sort of the idea of a a licorice pizza is sort of a a joke to uh sort of sometimes how like children often put things together food wise sure that don't belong together and i was kind of expecting something to happen in the film about that Mm. Mm. um did not come to be um I know, I think it's an expression for a vinyl too, isn't it? Like a record. Yeah, um, I think it is an expression for an, for an LP specifically. Yes, an LP. Um, and the other one I got here, and this is the answer that PTA has given, I think, is that it's actually based on the same name as a record store that existed in the 70s um, that was literally just called Licorice Pizza. And that's sort of where he grabbed the name from because I think he just liked it. Although I think there was a lot of merit to that, this idea of... of the, the innocence of mixing things that would otherwise don't maybe go together or, we, or society yeah. doesn't expect to go liquor, together. And the the episodic way could be equivalent to the all sorts of licorice you can get. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There so. you go. No, I think, I think that totally speaks to your point about especially societal views and norms mm-hmm. on things and sort of the innocence of just ignoring that. I know Stephen, friend of the show, Stephen Clark, had a similar... We talked about it on the phone. He, it was very similar in the sense that um, it is about mixing two things that seemingly don't go together, but maybe they do. Maybe it's an exploration about yeah. that. It's uh, what's it like putting your chips in ice cream, Jake? Ah, oh, there you go, a little disconnected <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> what's disconnected on Vimeo? Um, mm. yeah, no, but that's exactly it. I, I think there was absolutely a lot of merit to that. The idea of, of the innocence of mixing mm. things that societal norms 
wouldn't otherwise yeah. say mixed together. But yeah, no, I mean, it's a good argument. Yeah, what do you think of the uh, the soundtrack? Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's great. I think I think I might have. Is been it as duped. good as the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack? Um, because <laughs> I've listened to that soundtrack so many times. Um, perhaps. I mean, David Bowie's always a win in a lot of that. Um, that the 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 song Wings, that they use good. in the trailer is just golly. It might have been a trick. Might have made it look like more like oh, I'm excited to see this. It might have it's quite had that perception. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably one of the best trailers I'd seen in recent memory it's excellent i still like the last night in soho trailer a little bit more but um have you seen that yet now obviously we've seen the film no yet. not yet you should go back and watch the the first trailer they put out in like april and may it's incredible incredible yeah. trailer but yeah no the licorice pizza trailer was i saw that and i was like holy shit this is gonna be incredible so what was your favorite episode if we we're gonna uh, i mean the answer is pretty obvious it does sort of lean into it's probably too early for highlight scenes. Well, well, let's talk about it extended. We can talk about the ending as well. Yeah. Mine has to be the whole Bradley Cooper arc. <laughs> Easily. That's one of my, that's probably one of my favorite Bradley Cooper performances. Yeah, and you know what's <laughs> funny? I think he got nominated for the SAGs for Best Supporting Actor. Somehow, he He's was hilarious. in it for five seconds. <laughs> He's hilarious. He's so good. Yeah. Um, well, just like, you're right, the, the sort of the anger that he's sort of holding on to and he's obviously talking to Gary and then he's back and forth. That shot specifically when they're in the, the, the truck and you just see like his silhouette come into play is just the funniest thing. Oh, I think the bit <laughs> when he goes up to the actual physical gas station and gets the yep. petrol pump and the lighter <laughs> to that <laughs> random person <laughs> was, was one of my favourite uh, parts of that sequence. I actually would have to say I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the waterbed the waterbed um, stuff's great as well. Stuff, particularly the sequence that leads to the grand opening. That that sequence is quite a powerful sort of, and we get to see Alana's first real time, where that sort of elderly mirage is is sort of thrown out the window as mm. Gary gets the affirmation of a peer in what looks to be in his high school year. Um, right, the younger girl. The younger girl. And, and the great thing, she's wearing like this bikini sort of thing or swimsuit. Yeah. So just like that vulnerability that she's got there. That, you know, seeing that, seeing Gary talk to someone younger and like, oh, she's probably prettier than me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got all this skin showing. And like, I just like the subtlety of all that yeah. you know, as well. Even yeah. when she impulsively like just runs down the street and makes out around. <laughs> yeah. And one of them and just grossed out. And it just keeps going. And, and, it's excellent it's followed up with a really good punchline when she comes home in her bikini and her dad just goes what the f like oh yeah <laughs> it's just, just a really that. nice delivery um yeah because it has that like elongated pause because yeah. like yeah from his perspective there's such a conservative family mm-hmm. um there's some great like foreskin jokes in there as well oh well yeah with with her and the the guy that she brings initially um <laughs> i'm not saying the line but it is one of the funniest it's lines. a good line yeah um, but just knowing the context of the conservative family and the dad at that Ricky, point, the line Ricky delivery is amazing. Ricky Perdeck of Friend of the Show <laughs> put it aptly with his review on Letterboxd. Oh, what did he say? Good old he Ricky. just said the line. Oh, he just said the line. <laughs> what is your... <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. It's fantastic. Let me open it up again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few weeks. I needed to see it. That's so funny. Yeah. I like in the comments, what's your Snapchat? Ha ha X. Ooh, what's going mm. on there? 
spicy ricky what's going on um <laughs> so yeah yeah no. i i do love the waterbed sequence as well because that, that's just another example of like him latching onto some random thing like let's do this and yeah. it's the same with the arcades which i did not realize or not the arcade the um pinballs yeah the pinball machines i guess it's an arcade um i didn't realize they were illegal because i guess they were a form of gambling i guess it was the yeah. idea i never ever knew that it's pretty great, eh? I, I, that's what I like about the... Just the, for everything, from the gas shortage to the... Yeah. Like, it was such a well-rounded uh, sort of look into 1973, which I, I absolutely enjoyed. Um, and it led to a lot of questions post, post-movie post where I was like, whatever happened to waterbeds? Like, <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> what happened to them? Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't, you know, everything else comes back in and out of fashion. Why haven't waterbeds come back? Yeah, we're going to have a waterbed phase. Comes with a vinyl player. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, but I guess that was cool. Like that I think I'd want to sit on one at some point just to feel what it would feel like. I feel like I've sat on one. It's just like a really, like, it's a beanbag, but it's it sort of has that, like, oh, how do I even describe it? Because in beanbags, you still kind of plonk quite a lot because there's obviously, like, you plonk. Yeah, well, you sit on one like it's a softer landing, but you still kind of just fall into it. Yeah. And with the bed, you kind of like, you have this very slow bounce back up, I guess. I don't know. I'm describing how water beds feel, and I'm pretty sure I've never actually sat on one before. <laughs> well, um, did you have anything else you'd like oh, to add? Oh, gosh. Yeah, um, let's talk about the ending for sure. a minute. Before I forget, I, I want to say I love the scene where she's on the phone trying to sell the water bed. And then she just like over pants, over sexualizes it. That, Gave you punch drunk love so vibes. Funny. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little, little call in, yeah. <laughs> which is really great. But yeah, I think so. The ending, I've seen a lot of people have issues with the ending, which I don't, I don't disagree with. So I, I guess the idea because you know I, I, we were, I think we already talked about is it, like she, you know, exclaims her love to him. Yeah, and it's the you know ah oh, ladies and gentlemen meet. Uh, Miss Alana uh, Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very like, it's almost I don't want to say too good to be true, but it's, there is that fantastical element to it. Yeah, but he, she does follow it up with "You're an idiot." And that's really yeah. So there's still that, but it's like that's the loving "You're an idiot." Like that's not. Yeah. Uh, it, I I still buy it as part of a fantasy. Sure. I don't I don't dislike the ending at all. It felt it feels sudden, and I think part of that is. You know, we talked about... Because the big thing we already talked about it was with, with the politician. Yeah. Um, with, with Mr. Safdie. And that whole thing of, again, sort of being a ploy to just hide the, you know, the homosexuality that's going in that relationship. And that's sort of her turn of like, you know, screw this. Yeah. But I think because it feels so episodic, it doesn't really feel like it's constantly building to that moment. It kind of felt like that moment could have happened at any turn. Mm. So I don't know if the payoff is as rewarding. One thing to counter this, sure, and I I do want to bring this up. There's a really that final sequence when they're running towards each other, and it it's Mm. matched cut with both of them running after one another. Is sort of, and I do actually have moments where I think that there's editing genius, and actual moments where I have problems with the editing. So it it does swing both ways. This is an example of the genius side. What I feel like that final sequence was, was a collection of, you know, they did quick cuts to bits. Oh, to every time that they'd run. Well, not just their run, but it's also like as they're they're moving towards each other, we're sort of, while seeing these shots, we're actually also recollecting all of the real moments where they could have, will they, won't they. Sure. And 
that's what we're seeing in that final sequence. And that's sort of the moment when you fully give in to someone, you fully love someone. All those moments of affirmation that that other person's expressed towards you almost flash before your eyes. Yeah. Like, this really is me consolidating all of these moments this person has put myself out. They put myself out there, or put themselves out there to show how much they actually really care about me and how much they want to be with me. And I feel like that last sequence is really trying to nail that home mm. because it for her, it really is her conception. It's her conceiving to it more than him because she's actually the one that has stakes in it as per se. She's the one who has societal judgment to lose. It's sort of like she really is the mirrored version of Safdie's character just in a more microcosm-based way. You know, She's not a politician, but her public perception is important. Will this affect the way she's employed, the way she's perceived by her family? Like, And so for her to concede that and then you know, we see all these moments of them match-cutting with them running towards one another... We basically are seeing themselves fully just give into this relationship and embrace it. Absolutely, yeah. De- definitely that aspect of it of just them just embracing what's yeah. there, you know, and to take this, seize this opportunity before it's too late, before it's over. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's all there. And and to your point, I think that is a really good way to to sort of encapsulate all the beats that came before it. That editing, the kind of the cuts, cutting back to all the times they were running mm-hmm. toward each other, which is just a great motif period throughout the whole film so yeah i think that that's a good way to counter i still feel i still feel like there is a smarter way to thread everything that happens in this film in more of a tighter narrative you know in a plot specifically but mm. i still think the editing goes a long way into making that feel rewarding so i will give you that for sure i think the, the film wouldn't offer anything unique and different if it did a more streamlined approach mm. um you know just off the top of my head while discussing this i'm thinking about things like you know, when Harry and Sally and stuff, which have got such clear cut, structured, romantic intention, but they're over a period of time and are almost episodic in the way that they're structured. And, and I feel like for this to be, it's episodic and have its larger than life characters, it needs to almost be more loose. Otherwise you don't get these fantastical characters as much, mm. I think. Um, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for instance, you wouldn't get the Brad Pitt, Jet Lee fight. Like yeah, that. exactly. Like, you just wouldn't get that if yeah. you decided, oh, we're just going to do it if Marilyn Manson's killers didn't kill. Um, and and in all fairness, if you go back and listen to our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood discussion, yeah. I've I've turned around in that film so much. Not that I ever hated it, for example, yeah. but when I walked out of it, that, that was easily the most negative I felt towards it was my immediate reaction. Yeah. And I and I think I did say, like, I think this film would be so rewarding on rewatches because I think things like that I would come around on mm. and that this is so comparable once upon a time in Hollywood, which slowly over time became one of my favorite Tarantino films that he's ever done. Yeah. And this could very easily fall into that same category. If I watch it more and I learn to appreciate sort of the lived in hangout, yeah. uh, hangout aesthetic of this film. Yeah. And you just enjoy the ridiculous premises of them starting a fat Bernie's waterbed business. And, <laughs> Or, or them following it up with, you know, like the sequences with Sean Penn where he's this kind of, not washed, like established 50, like 40s, 50s actor who acted with Grace Kelly and, mm, yep. and but it's just locked in that time. Like he can't leave it in his head yep. because 
all he cares about and you know you got someone you know when when tom waits comes in it's just like rambling basically and and he's saying roll camera and sound because he still <laughs> thinks he's on a set because they've just been grinded into the hollywood system to a point where they don't actually know how to exist in the real world well they're, they're presenting to an audience yeah that's like their version of presenting to an but audience even, but even the way pen talks I'm coming, Nancy. <laughs> but everything he says is a line from a movie that we assume he was in. Yeah. Like, yep. he talks about, like, Korea, but he's clearly talking about it as if he was, like, like in a Korean war film. Yeah. Like, yep. it's, he's not talking like he actually went to Korea. Uh, um, and I love that. I think that's such a fun character. And then Bradley Cooper's... I don't know what he is, but his, his whole Barbara Streisand rhetoric... Gotta get the pronunciation correct, mate. Strike yeah. sand. That's so good. It's like sand, um, sands. <laughs> yeah, and he, just talking he, about how his Ferrari's full of gas. Runs <laughs> off. Yeah. No, that's exactly where this mix of like the crazy and the more grounded characters sort of yeah. cro- into cross. And I still think you can make that work with a tighter plot slash narrative. But I think my main takeaway I want to I want to stress to people is that. You know, with films like this, I do do I do come around. I'm not to say that I dislike the film at all. Yeah, it just you know I'm like that. I watch something and it's not quite what I expect. And I'm like, hmm, I need a time to adjust to this. Um, it the artistry is is phenomenal. It's through yeah. the roof. This is, you know, it's probably very unfair for me to say it shouldn't be on the 1100 list. It's it's a bit more of a personal list when we talk about it in that context. Sure. But it, this film gets so much right and is so well made mm. that and crazy performances from its two leads yeah oh they're incredible she just yeah. turned 30 <laughs> what's that no she was on jimmy fallon she had a whole thing where she she was turning 30 and she was like dancing oh. <laughs> nice. um no, I, I, I do think this is one of those films that you, if you just enjoy sort of a hangout film that really does have kind of no like high stakes which for his sort of films isn't um it's new for him it's definitely new. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of Magnolia and stuff, which is just utterly depressing at times. Mm. And then you've got this film, which the biggest loss is these two won't get together. And it's kind of strangely, strangely, not safe, but really isn't a very um, vulgar film, really, for the most part. No, it has no. vulgar characters or a character that's particularly vulgar and well, even, even like, I feel like a lot of other PTA films would, you know, when Alana's showing Gary her boobs, the camera would turn around and see that. And, like, this film's not the kind of film to do that. Yeah. It's all about the innocence and wonder of, of youth. Yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. No, 100% agree. Well, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Jake? Or would you like to jump into highlight scenes? Let's do it. What's your highlight scene? I, I reckon it might be the same as mine. It's probably going to... Look, this is a really toughie because there's a nice, there's a good collection of really fun sequences in this. Um, I would probably say, oh, this is a toughie. I might actually throw it to you first, Jake. While okay. I'm mull well, my, mine was in. I knew what the second it happened because the scene is absolutely phenomenal. It's when Alana has to reverse the truck downtown. Oh, yeah, that is. That pretty... scene is absolutely phenomenal. No score. The, just yeah. the pure tension of... Not even tension, concentration. There is such a, a concentration in that scene where her as the character 
has to absolutely nail this maneuver with the vehicle. There's obviously this gigantic vehicle that has no gas in it that she's reversing downhill at Not night. Not to mention, uh, Gary has just destroyed um, Bradley Cooper's... Yeah, the car. ...window screen. <laughs> so there's that... And we've kind of seen what... Well, this... that's their escape. That is the only thing they can do to get out of this scenario. And it is so dangerous, but it doesn't... You know, dun, 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 dun. it doesn't do any of that shit. There's yeah. no score. Just concentration, look forward. And then the celebration when they actually get away with it. And Gary just losing his mind like oh my god i can't believe we did that yeah. just a fantastic but it's another scene. great example of the fallout from that scene when alana's sitting there just mortified and trying to recollect yeah. herself and they're off making you know like phallic gestures with the, the jerry yeah. can <laughs> because that's what they are they're 15 they're 16 you know yeah. like this and they this brush off moments like that is just a cool story it's not about life and death because uh-huh. that's the almost in in it, both the immaturity, naivete, but also invincibility of being a 15, 16-year-old. Yeah. And I love the gravitas. That's like, plus the Bradley Cooper in the back of frame hitting on the <laughs> tennis players <laughs> is pretty hilarious. I'm surprised that that chunk in the trailer when he's like smashing up the the uh, the mirrors, that kind of left... Lo- that's like a post-credits big, thing almost. Big, big shout-out to, to PTA. I love when film trailers do that. They'll do like shots they don't use in the film interesting in a i love that misdirect me make me think i'm going to see <laughs> something like that punish me and then don't use it um i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a different one i'm gonna go with the climax to the the jack holden weight storyline with yep. the with the jump the stunt that's a great scene, um yeah. i think weights is acting in this whole uh, episode is hilarious um, he's like, <laughs> when he does the roll camera and stuff, I just, I pictured a certain mentor we know doing a very similar <laughs> sort of, <laughs> he reminds me a lot of weights. That's and so funny. He kind yeah. of is him. I wonder what he would think of this film, actually. Um, he's very like, if there's no plot, it sucks. But I feel like he might still like this a lot. Sure. Um, and I love the I'm coming Nancy. Sean Penn yeah, is the perfect Nancy. degree of crazy yep. in all of his roles. There's always hilarious to watch. Like, And he plays the, his character to a T in this. And it does lead to a really good moment with like Gary you know, going after Alana. And um, you know, she says that line before she gets jettisoned off the motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Do you even know my name, my real name? And I love that because that's that real search for identity and affirmation from someone who really just sees her for her. And yeah. I think well, even that you scene need... when she falls down, it, it, again, that concentration of yeah. him sprinting after her and like running past the bike, like without yeah. even a care in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's a great sequence and it leads to a sweet Paul McCartney Wings song. So, <laughs> And honestly, fo- the follow-up scene to that when they're sitting on the waterbed and it's that, you know, he's like considering should he touch her. Yeah. And you kind of, at this point, you're really behind him. You're behind these two getting together. And it's like interesting your brain, you know, the way PTA subverts this sort of, makes you really wait. But at the same time, really encapsulates sort of the awkwardness of a teenager not knowing what to do. Yeah, almost the delicacy of that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. No worries. Well, Licorice Pizza is currently out in cinemas near you. Speaking of cinemas, Jake, what is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? It's a bit of a weird one. 
Yeah, uh, weird one. Yeah, Munich, the Edge of War, Netflix, just set in the late 1930s, where Hitler prepares to invade Czechoslovakia. 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 That's yeah. That O got me right in the middle there. Of course, he's a British civil servant and a German diplomat. Travel to Munich together to discuss peace. Wonder how that worked out. <laughs> Probably well. Probably well. Went really well. Also, season four, part one of Ozark drops. So, I've got to uh, watch that show. I know, it's me too. I, I still haven't seen it, but it, it's kind. It's part one. It's the ending. It's the beginning of the end, as they say. So we've got a little bit of time to do that. We have The Hate You Give, the 2018 film coming to Disney+. Plus. We have a couple of documentaries coming to binge, including Diana, which is very timely. We'll get into why in just a moment. And, of course, Sounds Like Home, which stars Ed Sheeran. Yeah, Paramount+, Plus, which uh, not a lot of drops in Paramount+, Plus that are, I think are worth mentioning. But this week, we have The End of the Storm, which is the inside story of Liverpool's 2019-2020 Premier League winning series. I think that's another documentary right there i think i assume yeah, sounds like it yeah and coming to cinemas you have nightmare alley which is guillermo de toro's latest in the set in 1940s new york of course stars we mentioned him bradley cooper look at that he's back in our screens already what do you think of the trailer it looks dope mm. it looks really dope because they, they played it at red rocket the, the outdoor thing oh and i got it i got it with my licorice pizza oh perfect yeah i must be doing it now because yeah it comes out in the next week and it looks it looks just so stylistic and and so like the, the, the pure Defoe, like letting no other character speak but Defoe's narration. I was like, that's mm. good. Just a heads up, I heard that he's not in this film much. He's the Bradley Cooper of of this film of of Nightmare Alley. So the trailer's a bit of a misdirect, and that, that's probably love what, that. You love that? Oh, there you go, another misdirect. Yeah. Just giving you a little heads up there. Swerve me. Yeah, and alongside Bradley Cooper, it does also star. Uh, Mooney Mara, Willem Dafoe, of course, we just mentioned, and Kate Blanchett. This is very exciting. Uh, Belle, and it's an animated Japanese film that sees a high school student become a globally beloved singer after entering a virtual world. I'm hearing great things about this. I'm hearing sort of the big snub of the animation category there this year. So we shall see. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit of a diner uh, timeliness to it all. Uh, the wide release of Christian Stewart's Spencer comes out this week i'm sad i missed it last night Ooh. i totally forgot that they played it last night. i was like damn it's it creepy how accurate they've managed to make her like, she looks very good like in terms of the way she looks like diana and i feel like she this, was this, um, is this going to be her magnum opus is this going to be the one we talk about potentially well she was um because they announced the sags recently again we'll talk about this maybe in a week or two whenever do the oscar noms then we'll probably collate that all in one thing um but she was snubbed from the sags which some people are saying that that's the biggest snub in like a decade is her Spencer performance. Big time. But yeah, right. I really I, hope I catch I this this week as well. I am quite keen to see this. Yeah. Exciting. But that's it. That's yeah, what's coming to no streaming worries. cinemas this week. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, at least not no. for our film of the week. But no. Jake, what is the film of the week? Well, Zeke, the film of the week next week is something we've been sort of building up to for yes. a long while now. It is the conclusion to the Before Trilogy with... Before midnight. And how did you two meet? We met about 18 years ago. We kind of, sort of, fell in love. And a decade later, we ran into each other. No, no, no. You wrote a book, and I read about it, and went to look for it. It's pretty romantic. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? Of course. This place is so full of thousands of years of myth and tragedy, and I thought something tragic was going to happen. It's still there. It's still there. 
It has been 18 years since Jesse and Celine first met in Vienna and 9 years since they reunited in Paris. But where are they now? In this final chapter, I've rewrote the logline again. Oh, for I can you. tell you. <laughs> is this so? Is this me predicting where they are now? Is this what we're um, doing, or have I already? I already did that. I think you already one. did that in the last one. Um, so check out my the before sunset with yes. my, my take. I'll um, I'll go back and listen and write notes. I don't think I'm ready. No, I'm ready probably going to end up watching it tonight too. So it's <laughs> going to be like, oh no, what a shame! I'm it's not ready. Time. It's watches time. it yeah. as soon as he gets home. Yeah, um, this one, it's. I I don't I don't have anything to say. I want you to just experience it and and see what I mean because I've been telling you for months that this the the trilogy as a collective is just shockingly coherent. Like everything comes together so perfectly in this third film that it, it blows my mind that they didn't intend to make it yeah. eighteen years ahead of time. They're like ah we'll, we'll see. Well, it hasn't been eighteen. Ep- uh, it hasn't been eighteen years, but it has been eighteen episodes for us. That's true. That is but until true. then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sci-Fi Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Before Midnight.